There was a clash of at least one titan as the battle for Hong Kong exchanges and London Stock Exchange heated up. This is the Exchange Invest Weekly with me, Patrick L. Young. Leading the news this week, the Hong Kong Exchange's attempts to buy the London Stock Exchange. There was a huge showdown in London. 9,000 bankers in between drinks at Cybos managed to get together and listen to back-to-back presentations, question and answer sessions, no less, with, first of all, David Schwimmer of the LSE, and then subsequently Charles Lee, the boss of the Hong Kong Exchanges. Interesting discussion, or at least a rather one-sided discussion. I mean, David Schwimmer was frankly foolish. He derided Hong Kong about its free laws, its free markets, its judiciary, which is, well, much more independent than dubiously politicised legal systems. You know, I'm talking about regimes like, say, the United Kingdom during the course of this week. Of course, one could concern oneself about China's much more closed system, but this is Hong Kong we're talking about. Remember, one nation, two administrative systems. Totally different. Hong Kong being so close to UK law, it's an absolutely, totally different kettle of fish. And that's why, of course, Hong Kong is the astoundingly perfect gateway in the correct time zone in the correct geographical area to link Chinese capital with Britain's capital. And indeed, the opportunities for content, for trading, for investment, for bonds, for stocks between the two, which is quite sensational, with the incredibly interesting spar of Milan alongside. Frankly, Hong Kong Exchange remains the trusted, stable international gateway to China. The London Stock Exchange have a one-shot pony bet on a relatively youthful Shanghai Stock Exchange, and we all know how many Chinese exchanges have ended in the past being, well, how might one put it, I'm talking to you this morning from London, so I suppose one could say they've been prorogued on many occasions in the past. That's not the situation with modern Hong Kong. Amidst the focused myopia of LSE and the cloudy ignorance of broader UK media, the elephant in the room we keep ignoring is in fact that bond market. That plays to all Hong Kong's strengths much, much better than just simply trying to access the Chinese mainland through one vastly different time zone of London into the much, much earlier in their overall daytime in UTC Chinese trading day. When it actually came to the face-off at Cybos, of course it wasn't a face-off, takeover panel rules, we can't have the two men in the same room at the same time. Fortunately, they'd both been booked to speak at Cybos earlier, a rare moment of excitement at Cybos in between the many parties and drinking, which seems to be the main occupation or preoccupation of the delegates these days. That was taking place in London, of course, and if you find the time to watch the videos, well, they make for quite a resting viewing. To put it mildly, watching the dawn in London the other day when I was doing the Exchange Invest Daily newsletter to a background of the David Schwimmer interview, to the background of the David Schwimmer interview was one of the least inspirational activities I can recall. Interviewer Jerry McGrant is a solid chap. He's not exactly super inspirational, but he understands the parish incredibly well. Alongside vague Dave, Jeremy looked, well, positively Churchillian in charisma terms. Schwimmer didn't look like a man in charge of anything, certainly not his brief. He stumbled on simple questions after he extolled the great merits of the refinitive FX market being rolled into the London Stock Exchange, he was promptly asked by Jeremy, what sort of size was that going to bring in terms of the global FX market? Schwimmer had no idea. 
How can you possibly be this far into a deal and not actually know the simple facts? You've got to be prepared and briefed. In this occasion, Schwimmer was wholly inadequately briefed. He did not look as if he was in charge of well a Welk stall, let alone one of the major regulated stock market entities in the world. And remember, that's regulation across a multiplicity of different bases for different products. He kept uttering the word I believe before stabbing at a fact without conviction. It was just embarrassing. I mean, frankly, at least Xavier Rollet, even during his, well, how might one call it, the alleged tea trolley internal exile phase, he always had a certain passive-aggressive swagger. There was a lot of confidence correlation, and he had facts at his fingertips. He could tell stories. So thus, David Schwimmer was tragically embarrassing to behold, and as you can see from the video, which some have said might even have disappeared fleetingly from YouTube earlier in the week at one point in time, doubtless due to a minor administrative error, I'm sure, he showed absolutely zero evidence of why David Schwimmer should be entrusted with running a massive multinational entity like the London Stock Exchange. I take no pleasure in that observation whatsoever. This is a real shame for the LSE, because clearly the CEO, the group CEO, needs fundamental help to demonstrate that he is in charge and show that he is a coherent steward of the company. It raises vast credibility questions. How can a newcomer chairman and such a vague and relative newcomer CEO justifiably block a Hong Kong exchange's takeover attempt so brutally without wanting to talk further? This was in fact only contrasted by the fact that Charles Lee was utterly magnificent. He came on stage after Schwimmer, he had facts, he had stories, he had clarity. This was a man with passion on a mission. The Hong Kong exchange is starting to get into its stride after a shaky media start to this whole affair. The message is getting out there. The future of the London Stock Exchange needs to be discussed. In deals and results this week, we had one set of results, IHS Market, very, very encouraging third quarter results. At the same time, they're going to sell to Montague, the private equity fund, for $470 million. The Jane's somewhat biblical reference works of aviation and defence. On a similar tack, the Warsaw Stock Exchange are launching an interesting new project. They're going to establish an internal corporate venture capital fund. They're looking for partners to propose the VC bases. And of course, this makes a lot of sense because the Warsaw Stock Exchange's CEO, Marek Dietl, actually used to work in the business of organising tenders for VC funds to gain match funds and looking after their fund operations. It's a sensible move by a large national monopolist such as GPW. Remember, coming next week... 1st of October, ladies and gentlemen, the TradeWeb IPO lockup expiration will take place. Bear in mind the fact that as we stand here today, looking out across the sunny climbs of Knightsbridge in London, we know that the TradeWeb stock has been up, what, 45 46% since it was IPO'd just six months ago. That could cause a large number of banks to decide that they want to rush towards the exit door. Elsewhere, the IEX, that's the Indian Energy Exchange, their stock was rising because the board approved the setting up of an Indian gas exchange. We've also had some news recently about various kinds of forward contracts coming from the potential competitor to IEX. More of that in just a moment. The PSE subsidiary, it's raising a couple of hundred million in local currency for various new activities. SEBI was quite active this week. They froze the voting rights of LIC for various potential issues, most notably the fact that they seem to have gone above the ceiling that they're allowed to hold in terms of stock exchange shareholding. Remember, the Indian stock exchange's landscape is purposely fragmented by local regulation, so no one can hold more than 5% of anything. 
Meanwhile, over in Canada, exciting bit of legal news. The crypto startup Paycase Global Corporation, who more or less nobody seems to have heard of, are suing TMX Group for breach of contract after the operator of the Toronto Stock Exchange and, of course, the Montreal Exchange terminated their deal to create cryptocurrency-related products and services. Paycase Global are looking for a pretty eye-watering $500 million. Even in Canadian dollars into US, that's still quite a large amount of money. Meanwhile, in cryptocurrency this week, we had two new exchanges in the United States of America. Binance, to some extent multi-domiciled, but nonetheless originally a Chinese-backed endeavor. They launched a US marketplace. It seems to have been mostly, according to the social media streams, a rather buggy affair. Something which wasn't buggy, something which went supremely smoothly. It was backed to the future. Cryptocurrency finally got a grown-up digital exchange on Monday the 23rd of September. The Intercontinental Exchanges Backed Futures Market, which is offering deliverable Bitcoin futures, looks to be an interesting quantum leap forward. Many have commented on two issues during the course of the week. One, the fact that there didn't seem to be a huge amount of volume. I'm led to the idea that, well, perhaps that could be something to do with the fact that many existing legacy cryptocurrency traders actually don't really want the superior transparency and regulation of the first grown up specific crypto exchange on the block. A lot of people thought the price of Bitcoin was suddenly going to go into orbit. That's not really how things work. It's quite interesting that in the nascent world of cryptocurrency trading, they don't seem to have learned one simple issue. Buy rumours, sell facts. Cumex was back in the news this week. The men who plundered Europe thundered the Guardian. Practices on trial in Bonn. Quite right too. Denmark this week fined a German bank 14.7 million euros over the Cumex tax fraud individually. And there were a lot more other fraudsters and related people. And a lot of other folk accused in the fraud were in court this week discussing the whole way that they made a journey from the floor to the jet set, all the while living off the back of accumulative ex-dividend tax fraud. In People News this week, very exciting return to the parish. The prodigal son Repo is upon us in Sydney. Les Hosking, the well-known and I think very popular former chief executive of the Sydney Futures Exchange, a veteran of the parish. He's been involved in a lot of energy markets in the course of recent years doing some work for the government as well. He has joined FEX. FEX are the startup energy exchange that's based in Sydney. And I'm delighted to see him returning to the parish fold. Welcome back, Les. I had a huge number of emails this week into the Exchange Invest email inbox from folk who likewise are delighted to see you return. You clearly strengthened the FEX team and he's going to become group executive of market infrastructure. Excellent news all round. Elsewhere in Sydney, on the same day as Les Hosking was being announced on his prodigal return to the FEX, to the exchange world, there were the ASX AGM results. Everything voted through, including, of course, that controversial re-election of Ken Henry. He's the embattled former chairman of one of the local banks who's been involved in all sorts of issues related to NAB and other factors in certain elements of what have been, well, highly dubious Australian banking practices. Rick Holiday-Smith, the chairman of the ASX, pleaded with shareholders to distinguish between the issues that tripped up Ken himself at the Banking Royal Commission and his role as an ASX director. Obviously, voters were listening as they reappointed him to the board. At the same time, there was a worrying report on that day saying that rife ASX insider trading is flying under the radar. Presumably, the ASX will be working hard to manage to beat down those rumours or at least impact upon anything where there may be possible lacks of probity. 
In Zurich, Reuters Coombe Refinitiv veteran Marion Leslie will be joining SIX as head of the financial information business from January the 1st, 2020. She's going to be succeeding Robert Jambard, the business unit head of financial information, who's decided to take retirement and will be leaving SIX at the end of December 2019. Elsewhere, talking about Reuters Refinitiv folk, the former Reuters exec Devin Venig has stepped down as CEO of eBay. In regulation this week, uh, the Estonian, well, they call it Startup Bourse. It's a Startup Bourse because it funds startups rather than being a bourse that's a startup, if you get my drift. Thunderbeam, delighted to hear that they've managed to get their licenses for global trading. They've got one in Singapore, is their latest edition. Meanwhile, in the UK, the FCA financial watchdog was telling firms they need to think and not tick boxes. Ooh, UK regulatory firms start thinking. Is that plausible? Well, choose yes, choose no, or... Oh, hold on a second. Hmm. In technology, we had one glitch. The Indian NSE had a problem in the last 20 minutes of trade during the course of Tuesday. But I think the most exciting news in technology by far during the course of the week was the launch of Settle Labs. You'll remember Settle, they're a... Well, alongside Digital Asset, the leading players in the back office settlement function business, they've come up with Settle Labs. It's a new open industrial grade settlement blockchain access tool. You can swiftly develop your go-to market propositions at scale using all of the different Settle documentation, processes and blockchain. Ultimately, they think that's going to turn into a very viable business for them with some projects using their services while they deliver the blockchain to the market as a whole. Absolutely brilliant idea, building on things that others have been doing in the field. But of course, what's the big advantage to settle? The truth is, they can settle a huge number more scalable transactions per second than anybody else's blockchain. IEX, the Flash Boys, they exited the listings business. IBKR are returning to NASDAQ, which means that IEX joins a long list of exchanges which have made a noble attempt but been unsuccessful at managing to break through to the country club duopoly of NASDAQ and NYSE. Elsewhere, KRX, the Korean exchange, they are seeking to enable the trading of overseas ETFs on their market. And Betfair Australia finally caved into pressure from the Hong Kong Jockey Club and pulled their exchange trading of Hong Kong racing, to which the Hong Kong authorities had been, well, complaining judiciously, to put it mildly. Meanwhile, in the US, the futures industry pointed to the fact in a Crane's Chicago business article that they don't have a problem dealing with China. Good news all round, because certainly Hong Kong is the gateway to China, hopefully will soon become the parent of the London Stock Exchange Group, enabling a trans-Pacific giant. CME tried to rein slightly on the parade of BACT during the course of this week. They're going to offer Bitcoin options in Q1 2020, while the Börse Stuttgart launched their blockchain exchange for digital assets in the same week. Six Swiss exchange rolled out their digital assets exchange prototype and then promptly postponed the actual launch of the blockchain-powered digital exchange itself. Over in Singapore, Euronext FX was launched. Good work there by Kevin Wolf and his team for an on-target launch as ever. And in new products, we had, well, a welter of things. Tyfex launched the first offshore NASDAQ 100 index futures contract. China launched the world's first stainless steel future. And the Power Exchange India, as I mentioned earlier, are relaunching their day-ahead spot contract in the course of the next, well, six weeks by the sounds of it. IHS Market, they're launching the World First Carbon Credit Index. And there's a basis trading platform has been officially launched by the Dalian Commodity Exchange. 
Over in Tokyo, the bourse there, JPX, they feel the Saudi Aramco IPO plans are intact and ongoing, while the SGX is going to be launching price colours for opening, midday and closing auctions. And so finally, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of a whirlwind week. I'm off to the breakfast for the installation of the Sheriff of the City of London. Good luck to Professor Michael Minnelli on what I'm sure is going to be an absolutely marvellous term for him and indeed the City of London as he undertakes his shrieval duties alongside the other sheriff. Very interesting story this week in Ward, a developer deleted his code to protest its being used by ICE. Not the Intercontinental Exchange, of course, ladies and gentlemen. No, what I mean is ICE, the US Immigration Agency. Well, computer server management software is usually pretty boring, but when that sold to a federal agency, this particular developer took umbrage. It's an interesting story. And the thing is, for me, it's a bit of a peril because what happens when we get, say, an idealistic anti-capitalist who decides that he doesn't like the idea of his software being sold to a financial market structure? The parish will need to have a consideration about that. Meanwhile, on the macro of global economics, one final story for you from the South China Morning Post. A says-all headline with a global recession looming, will cash-rich corporations swoop to the rescue? And there we will end with one simple factoid this week. In Japan, corporate cash balances are bigger than the capitalization of the Tokyo Stock Exchange. Food for thought, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me, Patrick L. Young, with the Exchange Invest Weekly. I'll be back Monday with the Exchange Invest Newsletter. And next week, of course, we've got the excitement of a whole new book launch coming out. The latest book by myself, Victory or Death. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, have a great week in markets and thanks for listening. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.